bless the name of the Lord on this first Sunday of the new year. Can y'all hear me? You can hear me on this first Sunday of the new year. Anybody glad that 2020 is over and we have stepped into a new year? And we are here today not just because we wore a mask. We are here today, today not because of our good choices, but we are here today because of the faithfulness of God, who, as my grandmama used to say, has kept us from danger seen and unseen. There's stuff you don't even know about that God has ordered your steps and navigated your way. We are here today because of the faithfulness of God. Now, that was a nice little patty cake, but would you just give God a hand clap of praise for all that he's done in seeing you into another, another year. If you have your Bibles with me, I, I want to just step into the flow of what God's been saying through our pastor and in this house uh, as we just uh, continue to talk about trust and leaning into God. If you could meet me in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, I, I want to read into your hearing the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah writes, in the year that, make note of this name, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Here I am, send me. Now, Father, would you encourage us today, whether uh, at this site, in this room, or, or wherever we may be, uh, in our homes, on, wherever it is, Lord God, would you just speak a word through me, your servant. Would the seed of your word, Lord God, fall on good ground as we step into this new year, Lord God, God would it take root and would it bear much fruit? that we would be better people for all that you have spoken into our hearts. Use me, I pray, as a vessel and vehicle of encouragement. And Lord, would you kindly save someone's soul. Call them from darkness into light. It's in Jesus' name I ask all of these things. Amen and amen. I played high school football. I wasn't great. I was good enough. Like good enough to get some playing time, to not waste my mom and daddy's time so they could actually come watch their boy actually out there on the field. 
And one of the things that I picked up on very early uh, playing high school football is no matter how great or how awful we played on Friday, we could always expect to sit down for Monday's practice session and review the tape or the film from the previous Friday. I can still see my coach with the clicker in hand, uh, rewinding and commenting and rewinding and commenting and rewinding and commenting to the point where I'm like, just get it over with. Now, now, now I, I initially thought that, that if we played really bad, if we got beat and not just beat, blown out, we, we wouldn't watch the films. I mean, what, what, what's the purpose of it? And, and I soon discovered that we actually spent more time reviewing those defeats than our actual victories. See, our coach operated from the fundamental principle that in life there are no wasted experiences, that you can learn as much from your tragedies as you do your triumphs. You can learn as much from the mountaintop as you do down in the valley. That again, in life, there are no wasted experiences. Now that's a word for us because many of us are stepping into 2021 and just kind of wiping the sweat off of our proverbial brow and saying, praise God, 2020 is over. Never want to think about that ever again. But I want to implore you that in the sovereignty of God, when Adam and Eve were running around the garden looking for a fig leaf to hide under, he ordained that you would go through 2020. And it would be a shame having gone through all that we went through for you to just get spiritual amnesia and act like it never existed. God speaks to us through pain. God shouts to us through not just victories, but also losses. Many of us have gone through horrendous things in 2020. Some of you in this room, some of you, wherever you may be in your homes, you, you lost loved ones. In 2020, I lost two dear friends of mine, one to pancreatic cancer and the other actually to COVID. And as if that wasn't bad enough because of the pandemic, I couldn't sit in the house of mourning. I, I couldn't go to the funeral and grieve. Others of us have lost jobs or we've been furloughed or we've taken reductions in pay. Uh, uh, others of us, others of us, there were some things that were revealed in our marriages that, that we never saw because they'd been covered up with busyness. I ain't gonna linger too long here, but you know, it's something about working from home and being with your spouse all day, every day. You ain't gotta say amen because I know they're sitting right next to you, okay? But through all of that, God just revealed some stuff. And he's been messing with you. And, and here's what I want you to understand. One of the truisms of life is that trouble reveals trust. Trouble reveals or exposes trust. If you really want to know what you've been leaning on, go through something. If you really want to know what your functional savior is, have your cage rattled. 
I'll never forget, it was 2008, and I was, uh, I was fr- flying from um, Atlanta to Los Angeles, and, uh, you know, I, I, I fly an awful lot, and, and, and on that particular day, I just kind of sat down on the airplane, and I was just thinking through my day, and we're going to land in LAX, and I'm going to get the rental car, and I'm going to do what I normally do when I go to LAX, because I serve on the board of a university out there. I'm going to, you know, get my rental car, drive down La Cienega, stop at the Beverly Center, right at the Beverly Center, there's a great restaurant called the Grand Lux. If you've never eaten at the Grand Lux in your life, do not die and go to heaven without eating there. If you feel the death angel coming, tell them to give you about a half hour so you can have their crispy caramel chicken, but I digress. I, I was just going to do all of that. You know, I'm just thinking about my day, making the assumptions. Here, here I am in my 757, and we're, we're taking off, and about seven, 8,000 feet in the air, we haven't hit the 10,000 feet ding yet. All of a sudden, the left engine goes out. Smoke, fire, I'm looking at the flight attendants, they got this, oh shoot, I've been flying a lot but ain't never seen this before, look in their eyes, the screens go blank, we stop climbing, literally people on the plane are stretching out, grabbing one another's hands to pray with each other, one lady takes a sharpie, and, and is writing her social security number on her arm in the event that when we crash, her body can be easily identified. I don't know, by the way, where she got that from. Like, has this happened to you before? And if it has happened to you before, you may be the reason we going through this, Jonah. But anyways. And I'm looking at the plane going, oh, shoot. Today's the day I'm going to die and ain't nothing I can do about it. Nothing I can do about it. And I had made all these assumptions about what I was going to do with my day. See, 2020 was filled with trouble. And it exposed our assumptions. And when you and I encounter, tw- when you and I encounter trouble, there's typically one of two responses we have. One response is we manage it. And when I talk about managing trouble, it it is the idea of going into self-protection mode. Needless to say, I bet you, since that day in 2008, there are plenty of people who are on that plane who ain't never flown again. Because they're managing their trouble. I'm not going to trust that happened to me one time, that's it. I'll never forget, a couple days before I got married, my wife's sister called her and just like, man, I'm so excited coming to the wedding. And, and I think Brian's a great guy, but, 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 but I just want to encourage you, baby, open up your own account, put some money in there that he don't know nothing about because you never know if he's going to act a fool. So what is she saying at that moment? Forget oneness, going to self-protection. Why did she say that? Because she just went through a divorce herself. And so now she's depositing stuff into people's spirits That ain't necessarily true. It's all about self-protection. And that tends to happen to us. You you got one time to knife me in my back and betray me, and I'm done with you. I'm not even going to think about forgiveness, not even going to think about reconciliation, because what's more important than forgiveness and reconciliation is my own sense of self-protection. Others of us, when we encounter trouble, we don't manage it, but we do what actually God wants us to do, and that is we maximize it. So trouble happens. It reveals what I've been trusting in. 
I'm not going to go into self-protection, but, but I'm revealing, I, I, I've gone through this experience and, and, and I realize God wasn't the foundation I thought he was. So, so, so my priorities are out of whack. So, so now I still fly, I just fly differently. Instead of assuming, I, I just sit down and I just start to pray. Call on the name of Jesus. If I've got some oil with me, I'm, I'm going to anoint some stuff. I'm, I'm going to pray for the, for the pilot. I, I'm, I'm praying and, and all that good stuff. And, and I might have a little communion with me. But anyways, I, I'm, I'm praying. See, I haven't gone into self-protection. I've just maximized it. And I've leaned into God. See, our text is all about trouble and trust. Right out the gate, the people of God experience trouble. Look at verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Stop right there. King Uzziah reigned for 52 years over the people of God. Scholars tell us that King Uzziah was the greatest king in the people of God's history since Solomon. That under his leadership, the people of God grew, the economy flourished, the military got stronger, they suffered no defeats. When people tried to attack them, they could look to King Uzziah, and he was going to take care of it all. And now, 52 years later, he's dead, and the people of God are in a panic, because now they're going, oh shoot, what's going to happen to us? The Assyrians are gathering against us. What's going to happen? What do you mean what's going to happen? You serve the living God. And what this text reveals was that God was never the source of their trust. King Uzziah died. And let's not be too hard on them because the truth be told, all of us have King Uzziahs. We have those things in our lives that we are looking to for trust and security and when those things are removed, we're thrown into a panic. So my oldest boy is 19, and he dropped out of college. That's not a choice my mother and I would have made for him, and he dropped out of college. I said, okay, well, what you going to do? He said, what you mean what I'm going to do? He pretty much said, I'm just going to chill here. I had to alert him to the fact that in my household, we have a two-adult maximum. We, maximum occupancy, two adults. All right, so, so, so now let me ask that question again. What you going to do? You know, because at that age, they love to throw this I'm grown stuff at you right when they come out of your refrigerator, right? So I'm like, if you're going to be grown, let's be all the way grown. Anybody with me on that? Anybody with me on that? So last Sunday, man, my oldest boy packs up the car, and, and he's moved to Arizona, and we did the ugly cry. Shoulders bouncing, you know, and after that, we, we got a little church dance on, but we, we cried at first. And here's what I had to tell him. I had to tell him, look, son, I love you, but all your life, I've been your King Uzziah. I've been the middleman. 
You've never worried about a mortgage payment. You've never worried how food was going to get put on the table. You've, you've enjoyed some nice amenities. You've had some nice vacations. You've had all that stuff. And son, I am not being mean to you. But if I'm going to play King Uzziah in your life in perpetuity, it's actually going to stunt your growth. So I've got to do something really hard. I've got to step out from between you and God and allow you and God to walk with one another and for you to experience the fullness of who God is. I'm here still. I'm still supporting you. I'm still praying for you. But our relationship is different. And we understand that. King Uzziah is at the end of the day. They may feel good, but they're not good for us. Because if you look at verse 1, Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, what happened? I saw the Lord. The implication was I didn't expect experience God to the fullness when King Uzziah was still in the middle. So I've got to ask you, what's your King Uzziah? Is it your job? Is it the letters behind your name? Is it your kids? Is it that relationship that you've elevated that boyfriend or girlfriend to the, to the, to, to the stature of deity? What is your King Uzziah? So I believe 2020 was all about God rattling our King Uzziahs. I believe he was shaking our foundations. And I believe 2021 is now God saying, now that we've dealt with your Uzziahs, I am calling you to a greater degree of faith and trust in me. It's just me and you now. Will you trust me? Will you stop riding on the coats of Big Mama's faith? Will you stop riding on the coattails of Granddaddy's faith? Will you trust me? You sing about it, you talk about it, and then you wonder why people in the Bible experience the dimension of God you never experienced. It's because they're trusting him in ways you've never trusted him. So as we wrap up, God is saying, I want you to trust me. The question on the table is, how do I know I can trust you, God? How do I know? The same way you know you can trust any person. Our text deals with three questions. Three questions that if we can answer yes to all of these questions, God is worthy of our trust. Question number one, God, are you competent? Are you, are you capable? Can you, can you handle me? Question number two, God, are you a person of good character? Question number three, God, when I fail, are you a safe place for me to fail? How will you handle my faults and my flaws? If you can answer yes to all of those, then God is worthy of your trust. First question, God, are you capable? God, are you competent? You know, whenever we go to a doctor's office, we, we walk into their office, and what do we see? We see their, their medical degrees in, in a large frame that's placed prominently, not at their house, but at their office. Why do they place it in their office? They, it's their way of saying, you can trust me. I've gone to school, I've got the credentials, I've passed the tests, I've checked the boxes, you can, you can trust me. 
Tuesday morning, I'm going to my barber, Derek Cagle, there in Durham, North Carolina. When I walk into his shop, I'm going to see his barber credentials, but I'm also going to see pictures of the Duke University basketball team. All of them are his clients, and pictures of Zion Williamson with the Z cut into his hair, that my barber is his personal barber. It's his way of saying, Brian, you can trust me. If I can cut a Z in Zion's hair, I can handle the two or three hairs that you've got left. You can trust me. How do I know I can trust God? God says, Google me. Look at my credentials. They're found in verse 1. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And what is the Lord doing? He is sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. I I love it. It is a picture of his majesty. He's not just sitting on a throne, which is already elevated, but that throne is even more so elevated. It is high and lifted up. And I love this. Isaiah says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I love this. Back then, kings wore these long, these long robes that, that had attached to it a train. And the longer the train, the more glorious the king. They, they would get together and they would just show off their long trains. Now watch this. If, if you're wondering, can God handle you? If you're wondering how majestic God is, it says that God doesn't just have a long train, but that the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, you can't even measure his train. He is that bad. He is God all by himself. And I love this. As if that's not enough, several times Isaiah refers to God as the Lord of hosts. This is the military name of God. It It is a picture of God when it says host who has, who has a posse. Who, who has an entourage. And that entourage behind him is legions upon legions upon legions of angels who at the very word, God commands to handle whatever needs to be commanded. And you're sitting here worried about how am I going to eat? Am I going to get a job? What's going to happen to this kid? Do you know who you are talking to? You're talking to the Lord of hosts. These words paint a picture of his sovereignty. And when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we are talking about a God who is in control. Nothing surprises God. Nothing occurs to God. Nothing catches him off guard. He is sovereign, high and lifted up. He is in control. And the quality of our lives is seen in connection to our willingness to submit to his sovereignty. When, when, when I pastored in Memphis, I went to the baddest barber in Memphis, a guy by the name of Sean Woodfork, right there on, night, uh, on, on Mendenhall Road. And this guy was just, he's amazing. Now, my kids were a lot younger then. When I started to take them, they were around six and four, my, my two younger ones. And And I would take them to Sean, and both of them are getting cut by the same incredible barber. But at the end of their haircuts, you would think that two different barbers cut them. That one was awesome, and the other was Stevie Wonder. One of them, their line was perfect. The other, the line was all over the place. You mean to tell me the same barber worked on them? What's the difference? Here's the difference. 
my middle son, that compliant one, would listen and obey the barber. When the barber said, sit still, my middle son, Miles, would sit still. When the barber said, turn left, he would turn left. When he said, turn right, he would turn right. My youngest son, pray for me, not so much. The kid was squirming and hollering and screaming and all over the place. The difference was the quality of their haircuts was in direct connection to their willingness to obey the sovereignty of the barber. Some of y'all got jacked up lines. Some of y'all, your life is all over the place. It ain't because God ain't capable, but you will not sit still and know that he is God. So will you submit? Will you submit? Secondly, I don't care how good your resume is. If you fail the background check, you ain't getting the job. Resumes deal with competency. Background checks deal with character. Can I trust you? God says, look at my resume. Can I trust you, God? Secondly, he says, look at my background check. In our text, Isaiah says, I have this encounter with God. And there are these seraphim, these angelic, fiery beings. Their name literally means the fiery ones. And they are flying around God day and night. They never stop saying, holy, holy holy. Did you know this is the only attribute of God in all of the Bible stated three consecutive times? You never hear it said of God, love, 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 God is love, or justice, 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 God is justice. This is the only attribute of God stated three consecutive times. In Hebrew culture, when you state something twice consecutively, you elevate it to the level of a superlative. But when you state it three consecutive times, you now elevate it to the level of a super superlative. This leads scholars to say that the holiness of God is his controlling attribute from which all of his other attributes flow. But what does the holiness of God mean? Hear it. The holiness of God means God's moral perfection and purity. That God is absolutely perfect. He is absolutely pure. So whatever flows out of that is absolutely perfect and pure. God's love is not just a typical love. It is an absolutely perfect and pure love. It may not feel like love, but it is. I, I, I keep putting my boys out there. My, my, my middle son, we bought him a car. Y'all pray for me about a year ago. Bought him a car, and he just got into his third accident within a year. Y'all got to pray for me. Y'all got to pray for me. We paid cash for this car. You know, it's a little A to B car. You know, you know about $5,000. We, we, we paid cash for this thing, gave it to him. No car payments, no nothing. Three accidents in 12 months. This last one happened about two weeks ago. The airbag deployed. The whole nine, we, 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 we take it to the shop. The mechanic said, yeah, look, if you want me to fix this, it's going to cost $4,000. I paid $5,000 for this thing. For, my son looked at me and said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? 
I said, son, I love you. You got a full-time job. We've covered you. And I took him out to lunch. If I keep bailing you out, you won't appreciate it. In fact, something tells me that you haven't been paying attention the way that you should because in the back of your mind, Uzziah's got me. So maybe if I remove myself from the middle, now you got to work some extra hours. Maybe you'll take care of it more. Son, I know this doesn't feel like love. But at the end of the day, it's love. And don't you ever question my love for you. In fact, one of the worst things I could ever do, one of the most unloving things I could ever do is to give you everything you want. That's where some of us are. Ever look back over your life and just gave God a praise? Thank you, Lord, for telling me no. Some of y'all been on Facebook and seen pictures of old boyfriends. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. His love is a perfect love. Can I trust God? He's capable. He's full of character. Whatever he does for you is right and has his glory and our good in mind. But there's one final question of God. I was talking to a friend of mine, in fact, a mentor of mine the other day. I was in a small group of his back in the, ni- in the 90s, and this small group, under his leadership, he was always saying things like, this is a place of transparency and authenticity and, and vulnerability. So, so we would come into that group, and we would confess our sins, oftentimes with tears of horrible things we had done, horrible things we had done to hurt the heart of God. And then we find out about 10 years or so later that while this group was going on, our leader was living a secret life of sin that he never confessed. So I literally talked to him the other day, and I said to him, listen, man, I'm not coming to you in condemnation. I'm actually coming to you in great sympathy, a little offended, not by what you did, but how come you couldn't trust us enough to share your faults? He paused for about 10 seconds, and this is what he said, fear. I was afraid that if you really knew who I was, you'd reject me. There's a lot of that going on in the church. Where we don't trust people, and honestly, we've kind of got good cause because the way people, Christians, gossip about each other and slander each other causes fear, and we don't come with our true selves. We don't trust, and sometimes we take that to God. God, can I really trust you? Like, God, how are you going to handle me? Not if I fail, but when I fail. The Bible says that when Isaiah sees God and his holiness and the loftiness of God, Isaiah says, woe is me. I am done. I love it. In the Hebrew, the original language, it means I'm destroyed. I'm, I'm wiped out. I'm leveled. One of the ways you know, by the way, you've encountered God is when you see his loftiness, you see your lowliness. God's perfections tend to illumine our imperfections. 
But at that moment, we need not sigh away. We can come boldly, as the writer of Hebrews says, to the throne of grace. Why? Because God says, okay, Isaiah is seeing his sin. Seraphim fly to him, and the seraphim comes and touches him with coals from the altar. Scholar says the altar is the place where sin is, is confessed, forgiven, and atoned for. So when he touches him with the coal of atonement, it is God's way of saying, I've seen the worst in you, and I'm coming at you. You, not in condemnation, but in forgiveness. Ain't that good news? We ain't got to wear a weave with God. We ain't got to put on makeup for God. We ain't got to hide stuff with God. The beauty of who God is is he sees all of us, even the worst of us, and he says, I still want you beauty of the gospel, friends, is Romans 5, 8, where Paul says that God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait on us to clean up our act first. God didn't wait on us to stop the lying problem or the porn problem or the, or the emotional affair first. The beauty of the gospel is we can come as we are. That God matches the worst in us with the best in him. Is God a safe place? Oh, yeah. He's absolutely safe. And some of you in this room or in your homes, your first act of trust is to come to God just as you are a sinner and receive by grace his salvation. God offers that to you. I I don't care what it is you've done. I, I don't care what it is you're about to do. God says right now, I am offering to you my son Jesus Christ and you can have a relationship with me. For others of us, the questions to every sermon are twofold. One, God, what are you saying And two, what do I do with what you've just said? I believe God's been talking to us today. And he's been showing us our Uzziahs. He's been tapping us on the shoulder and saying, that's where you've been turning for trust. That's where you've been looking for trust. Some of you, you know you're in a relationship that is not good. They they are not stimulating you towards things of Christ. They are bringing you down. That's your Uzziah. God says, will you trust me? Will you trust me with that person? Will you trust me with that child? Will you trust me with that job? Will you trust me? This is a year of trust. 2020 was all about exposing our Uzziahs. This year, God invites us in. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus. For that man, that woman, that boy, that girl who is listening to this message and they know within the confines of their hearts they are not in relationship with you. I pray, Lord God, that they would receive your invitation today by grace through faith. I can think of no better way to start off the new year than by saying yes to Jesus. For the rest of us who have said yes, Lord God, may 2021 be a year of greater trust, deeper trust, 
as we're removing our Uzziahs by your grace and turning to you. Do it, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.